You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So there is this verse in the Bible that I want to share with you this morning. It's in the book of 1 Timothy. And here is simply what it says, okay? Christ Jesus came into the world. So we're talking about He has come in Advent. So Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I I would give anything if I had some way of getting that embedded in your minds to where you just carry it with you for a week or two or three. So if it helps to write it down on the notes in the worship folder or or do something just to kind of get those words in your mind this morning. But those are the words we're going to focus on. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the central message of Christmas. So grab a Bible, if you will. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you might grab one out of the seat back in front of you or grab your phone and find the Scripture in front of you. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading with verse 12, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. So let me tell you what's going on where I'm reading. It is written by a man whose name is Paul. And he is writing to a guy whose name is Timothy. You remember back a few weeks ago in a series called Sent, we talked about this name guy named Paul who goes on all of these missionary trips where he's planting churches in Asia Minor and Europe. Well, one of the towns that he plants a church is in Ephesus, a city called Ephesus. So he leaves it with a guy named Timothy to be like the pastor, like I am here, or the overseer of the congregation. And so he's writing back to him. It's called a pastoral epistle. The reason it's called a pastoral epistle like 2 Timothy and Titus is because it is not written to a congregation like this, but it's written to an actual pastor. So Paul has given Timothy instruction about how you lead a church. So he addresses a lot of issues, but one of the issues he talks about is false teaching, okay? In the midst of that conversation, he begins to think about his own life. and What a bad guy he was, but how Jesus called him and is now even using him as an instrument in ministry. And overwhelmed by that, that's where we find these words, okay? So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And here's what Paul says. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to His service. And even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, and I was a violent man, I was shown mercy. Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 15, now here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So pay close attention is what he's saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. (laughs) But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. And then He gives this beautiful benediction. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory forever and ever Amen. God's Word for us today. So, when you hear those words, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
Who are those words for? The fact is, they're for everybody. Because you know what the Bible says in the book of Romans? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everybody has sinned. If everybody has sinned, then everybody needs a Savior, right? So people who sit down front on Sunday morning, they have sinned. People in West Church have sinned. People in East Church have sinned. The people back beyond the break, we know they have sinned. Everybody has sinned, right? (laughs) So if everybody has sinned, then everybody needs a Savior. And so the words are for everybody. When we get to the Christmas season, we sing about it like crazy. This whole idea of God coming in the form of a man to save people from their sins. So let, let, let me give you an example. I'll sing a line and then you sing a line, okay? Hark the herald angels sing. Peace on earth and mercy mild. There you go. God and sinners reconciled. So I love it when we read like the Christmas story during the season of Advent. But I also love it when I find verses like these that are very careful to give us the clear central message of Christmas. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So the word sinners is a word that I've learned to be very careful with. Let me, let me talk to you about three things today, okay? First, I want to talk to you about a false narrative. A false teaching of how someone could be saved from their sins. And, and this is really what Paul is confronting when he writes to Timothy. And, and after I talk about that, then I would like to talk to you about Paul. And, and in talking about him, I just want to talk to you about who can be saved, okay? And then after that, I want to talk to you about what we are saved from and what that looks like. So, so let me start by talking about this false narrative or this false teaching of how a person can be saved. So my wife and I came home the other night and we were just, we were worn out. We were so tired. It was probably around nine o'clock. And she says to me, when we go in the house, I want to go put on some comfortable clothes and I want to sit down with you and I just want to turn the television on and watch something on television. I said, sounds good. Let's do that. So we decided to watch the last episode of a show called The Amazing Race. Anybody watch The Amazing Race? One person in the whole room watches that. We got, sing another verse. So it's this show about teams, two people, who travel around the world, 27,000 miles, I think they said, and from place to place, country to country, continent to continent, they complete these crazy tasks in a leg of the race. And your goal is to complete all the tasks and get to a certain point before the other teams get there. That's why they call it a race. And if you don't get there until the last person, you could be eliminated, the guy says, from the race. And so we're watching the final episode, The Last Leg. But here's what happened. Every time it's these three teams who compete for the million bucks. So they start out with many and they get down to three. But they said, for the first time in Amazing Race history, you are the fourth couple to finish and these two girls are standing there downcast we know we're we're last we didn't make it but you get to compete anyway and they go nuts and somewhere during the next leg someone will be eliminated and then only three can compete the rest of the way so in church world what happened to them you and i would call what grace very good i like you guys sitting down here like this this is nice grace 
So they, they, they should have gone home, but you don't have to go home. You get grace. You should be out of it, but you're not out of it. You get grace. You should have no shot at the million bucks, but you still have a shot at the million bucks. You get grace. Is grace a good thing? To some people. Because another couple in the race were fired up mad. I mean, they said things like, if they would have gone home like they should have have, or if they would have gone home like they deserve, we wouldn't be in this situation. And guess which couple gets eliminated? The fired up mad couple. And I'm like, ring them up, you know? <laughs> and the only reason I'm telling this story is because it was at that moment that I realized grace is difficult. The two girls, they didn't deserve it, but they got it, and I was glad they did. The other couple didn't deserve it, and they didn't get it, and I was glad they didn't. In fact, I said they deserved it. Grace is awkward. Grace can be really uncomfortable. Grace is extremely, extremely unfair. And sometimes it leaves us with tension inside ourselves and we don't know what to do with it. You're telling me that they don't deserve it and they get it anyway. Hmm. So when Paul writes to Timothy, at the very center of the false teaching is the struggle with grace versus earning my way and deserving what I get by my performance and what I do. And so he writes to Timothy, Timothy, I told you that you should stay there and you should confront this false teaching because they're doing all of this stuff about myths and endless genealogies and some of them think they are teachers of the law and they don't know what they're talking about. And they're not advancing the kingdom of God, Timothy. And then in verse 8, he goes into this all-out conversation about the law. So let me talk to you about the law versus grace, okay? Uh, there's a New Testament scholar, and his name is uh, Thomas Odom. And Thomas Odom says, uh, the law works like this. He says, if I pull up my car to a stop sign, and I come to a complete stop, and then I go, then the law of the stop sign is of no consequence to me. But if I'm in my car and I run through the stop sign without stopping, then the law of the stop sign is a consequence to me. Because what the law does is it corrects. And the law curbs lawlessness. Another New Testament scholar whose name is N.T. Wright says it this way, The law warns us where the dangers lie. And N.T. Wright says also that the law is really good for people who tend to live very close to the edge. That's what the law is good for. And Paul says to Timothy, the law is good if it is properly used. But what he is actually saying is that there are some things the law cannot do for you. The law cannot make you righteous in the eyes of God. The law cannot justify you in God's eyes. Paul is very consistent in his teaching when he says we are saved by grace through faith. And that's not about works, what we do and how we perform. It's a gift from God. 
But even you and I, a couple of thousand years later, we get a little hung up on how we do and how well we perform. And if I do good, then I should be rewarded. And if I do bad, then I would be punished. And we tend to want to focus on our works. You see, when, when I was 19 and Jesus, Jesus changed my life, when I was born again, when I was, when I was transformed by the power of God, nobody had to say to me, Hey, Rick, there's some things, buddy, you should not be doing, and there's some things that, that you should be doing. I was already on board. Because something happened inside of me and Jesus changed my heart and I was a new person. I was born again. I had this new life to live. And I wanted to do things that would honor and please God with my life. But what if I had said, I will just bypass that. And I think that maybe on my own I can do good and I can do better and I can somehow be, be good enough that I can get the scales kind of in my favor and if I can do more bad than good, maybe then in God's eyes He will see me as a good person and I can be saved. No, you can't be good enough. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved by grace through faith. So now let me talk to you a little bit about Paul, okay? And really in talking about him, I want to talk about who can be saved. You ready? So Paul says, you want to talk about keeping the law? I'll talk to you about that because I'm incredible at that. (laughs) I was a Pharisee. My full-time job was keeping the law. I'm serious. That's what he did for a living. I mean, he was all about keeping the law. That was his life. And he even says in the book of Philippians, okay, he says, righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But he says, when I look back on my life, and I think about that season of my life, and I try to think about all the sinners I've ever known in my life, the worst sinners I can imagine, he said, I think probably I was the worst sinner ever. So Rick... Do you think he really meant that? That he was the worst sinner ever when he was doing all of these good, right things? Well, you'll have to work through that with me. Let me me talk to you about it, okay? You remember a guy named Stephen. We talked about him recently. The Bible says he was a man who was full of faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's pretty good stuff, huh? And one day they stoned Stephen. A bunch of people who are really good at keeping the rules, all right? They stoned him to death. And they said after he died, there was somebody standing there. Good job, guys. You did a good deed today. That man deserved to die. Good job. You know who it was? It was Paul. Giving his approval. I mean, the language that I read about this guy in the New Testament makes me nervous. It's language like he was breathing murderous threats against the church. Who was this guy? He would go from house to house and he dragged off both men and women and he threw them in prison. I mean, how many other people died like Stephen? How many people did Paul put in prison? But then he says, He considered me trustworthy 
And he appointed me to this ministry. <laughs> I want to say, what? Are, are you serious? Do, do you know what God says to a guy named Ananias about this guy, Paul? He is my chosen servant. You're kidding me. Out of all the people, Jesus, that you could pick to do all of this missionary work and to be this great saint, you're going to pick this guy. What about all the righteous people? And that's where Jesus says in chapter 9 of Matthew, no, no, you don't understand Christmas at all. I did not come to call the righteous. I already have the righteous. I came to call sinners. See, this is what Christmas is about. I came to call sinful people and to make them my instruments in this world. Wow, that's impressive. And so God calls this man to be his instrument. Um, there's an old joke about a mom who had tons of kids. And, and she was living near a construction site. And so one of the little boys was playing around this barrel that had been full of roofing tar. And somehow got stuff propped up and was able to climb up to look over in the barrel and fell in. And so his brothers and sisters wouldn't help him out because he's now covered in all of this. And they go get the mother. And the mother comes... And she looks in the barrel at this little boy covered in this stuff. And she just looks at him and says, Hmm, I think I could probably make another one easier than I could clean you up. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that great of a joke, was it? <laughs> but Jesus looks at Paul and he says, I think you're worth cleaning up. As bad as you've been, with all the trouble you've caused me, with all the persecution of my people that you have created, you're worth it. I'm going to clean you up. Okay, look into my eyes. If God thinks Paul is worth cleaning up, then he thinks you're worth cleaning up. So let me, let me talk about the third thing, okay? And that is um, this whole idea of being saved. Um, what are we saved from and what does that look like? So last Sunday morning, I was leaving here and, and I was over to this side of the building, getting ready to walk away. And one of our pastors says, Pastor Rick. And so I turn and they say, I knew you'd want to know. I prayed this morning with this lady right here. She became a Christian. A, a young lady comes down and says, I've been trying to find fulfillment in my life all kinds of ways. And I'm tired and I'm done. And I'm giving my life to Jesus and I'm going to be forgiven of my sin, and I'm going to follow Him. She said it was awesome. I mean, 
Big time stuff. I'm all excited. And so Monday morning I'm reading email and, and a guy says to me, wanted to tell you that my nephew called us this week and said, may I go to church with you on Sunday? Absolutely. And his nephew said, um, I'm coming back to church. I'm coming back to God. Uh, my grandfather said before he died this past year, you've got to meet me in heaven and I'm going to meet him in heaven. And, and when I talked to his aunt and uncle on Friday night, they said, we have never seen such a drastic change in anybody's life. And so this morning I got to meet him and we stood here and we talked together and we prayed together. It was awesome. So what happened to those two people? So, so growing up in a small church in Kentucky, we would have said, well, I think, I think they were saved. I think that's what happened. I, I think they, they were saved. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. The word in Greek is... Sozo. It, it means to rescue from destruction or to rescue from perishing. But let me, let me think with you and be honest about my personal experience. And it may not be yours, but growing up, it seems to me that when we talked about somebody being saved, it always had the connotation of being saved from whatever was coming in the afterlife. It was always about then. You know, if you don't get saved, you might go to hell. Or if you don't get saved, you might not go to heaven. And for me growing up, it seemed like it always had that kind of thought. But to regulate salvation to only apply to the afterlife is missing the point completely. What about this path of destruction that I might be on right now in my life? Can I be safe from that? Because really, where I go in the afterlife, isn't it just a result of where I've been going all along? And isn't that just where I end up because that's the path I've always been on? And so can I remind you of Dan Boone's words? He was here a year ago and he preached from the book of Revelation. And he wrote a book about Revelation. And he says, heaven and hell are not places we go at the end of our lives. They're not places we are sent when this life is over. They are places rather we have been going all along. At the end, we simply arrive at our destinations. In the end, we become who we are. Judgment is not an investigation. It's simply a revealing of what's in our hearts. And so to be saved from this path that I'm on that leads me to... A horrible end. And to be saved to this new life that is full and abundant with grace and mercy. And Paul says what happens to me when he turns my life around, all of a sudden I had purpose and I had meaning and I had reason for living and I had task in front of me to perform. My life was all of a sudden full. I was saved. So one final thought, okay, and then I'll, I'll be done. And, and this is my final thought, Sim simply this. I love it when Paul says that he 
considered me trustworthy, and he appointed me to his ministry. And he gives two words, and they're beautiful words, even though. I love those words. Those words mean something to me. Even though what? Even though I was really confused and I really messed up a lot of people's lives, and even though I was a persecutor and a violent man, and even though I stood there like that when Stephen was stoned, even though all of that, he still, he still looks down on me and says, I can clean you up. I think, I think it's like Paul saying, this is my greatest regret. If I look back on a season of my life that I could delete or undo, I mean, if I could live anything over, it would have been that season of my life. But even though... What is that in your life? It stings sometimes. It's that greatest regret kind of language. It's that even though stuff. Even though, Pastor Rick, I... And this... Even though I used to, and even though I did this, and even though I, I did that, and even though, even though Christ reaches you. And you can be saved. So what do you think? You, you just, you get up and you, preach a sermon like that and you expect people to come and ask Jesus to put them on the right path? Yeah, I do. I do. Last Sunday morning, this lady comes down and her life was changed. And today yours can be changed. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me and Kyle's going to come and we're going to sing before we go and we're going to pray before we go. So you may say, I've been trying to do better. Really, honestly, God knows my heart. I've been trying to be better and do better and get to this better level. And I've been trying to live a better life, you know. And I'm just thinking if I can get better at it, then maybe God is going to smile on me a bit more and say, hey, you're trying, you're doing better. But you're never going to be good enough. Because you're not saved by being better. You're saved by grace, through faith. It's a gift. It's something God gives you. Freely, He hands it to you. And so this morning, if you want that salvation in your life, you just come and you ask for it and you accept it. And so we have altars here. And all of my life, I've grown up going to an altar to pray. It just simply means I found a place to pray. And I found a place where some people are willing to pray with me. It doesn't mean anything else. Just a place to pray with someone. And there's some of you who are believers this morning. You say, Rick, sometimes, sometimes I get to think and I got to, you know, perform. Grace is sometimes very uncomfortable. Sometimes it feels very awkward. It's extremely unfair. <laughs> Thank God. I don't deserve it, but He gives it to me willingly and freely. 
And so maybe you want to come this morning and pray for healing. There will be pastors to pray for you. Or you're going through a tough time as a family. The altar is a real friendly place. So just kind of feel freedom this morning to pray before you go. Or you can pray where you are. That's okay too. I think the important thing is that we respond to God as He has spoken to us. So let's pray and let's sing. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem, us we pray cast out our sin and be born in us today we hear the Christmas Let me just give you these words before you go. I read them a moment ago from verse 17, and it simply says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.